Welcome to the Life Beyond the Lens podcast, the podcast where we talk to artists about the things that push them, motivate them, and inspire them to create. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Life Beyond the Lens. I'm your host, Ken Nelson, and man, I got a great show for you all today. Um, my guest today is Lansing, born and bred, right? Born in Lansing? You got it. That's what the birth certificate says. Oh, that's what the birth certificate says. <laughs> Born and bred in Lansing. He's a Lansing filmmaker. He reps Lansing like, you know, he reminds me of the filmmakers like Spike Lee and um, Woody Allen and Martin Scorsese, who really, when they make their films, man, they rep where they're from, you know. And so this uh, filmmaker has a long list of accomplishments. I'm going to go through a little bit. I, some of you that may know him, you may not know him when I say his name, but um, you may know him, Rebel Pictures. Is his company, Michael McCollum. He is the owner of Rebel Pictures. He's an award-winning director, writer, actor, editor. And his films have won over 185 awards. Um, he has 28 films. He's received 199 nominations. Um, he's played in 414 film festivals nationally and internationally. Some of his feature films are Fairview Street, Handlebar, Waiter from Hell, Lucky, and Buffalo. Buffalo won. Uh, it's, it's been awarded 22 major awards, received 12 nominations and 38 film festivals. I mean, Michael, I mean, you're killing it, man. Like, you're killing <laughs> it. 28 films, man. 28 films. But I just want to welcome Michael McCallum on the show. Thank you so much for being on the show, brother. Like, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Um, we're going to dig in today, man. I, I just, you know, I, I just want to know, first of all, man, 28 films. When did you start making films? Well, you know, first off, with thank you so much for having me on, man. It's um, it's really good to hear your voice. I'm I'm glad you are are safe and sound, and your family is as well through this tough time. I mean, not just tough with the quarantine, but now with all the the rioting and the, yeah, the division. It's just such a tumultuous time, and. And I think from like a film, like a creative person's standpoint, it's hard enough as a person, but us creative types too, when, when we can't do what we usually do, I've found that to be really difficult during this time. Definitely. Um, just Definitely. to try to keep yourself busy and, and focused on something, because uh, you can only watch the news so long before it just starts weighing on you. Um, so, you know, I've been uh, been making films since um, 1999. That's when Rebel Pictures officially started. Um, I had made just a, a handful of student films. I was going to Lansing Community College at the time, mainly taking uh, theater classes through their uh, intensive theater program, their studio program, um, which they were at the time very selective about even as a community college they were they had a really good program they still do but I'm gonna be one of those guys that's like oh when I was going there it was so much better because it was uh, but um, <laughs> I took I took a break from the theater program because I didn't have the intention of making films at that time I had taken a film class just because I wanted to understand what a director goes through, even if it's on a, a minor level. I really felt like other filmmakers independently even are making big, huge projects, making skyscrapers. I might make a garage, 
but it's at least there's some similarities in the stresses there. And maybe as an actor, it would help me relate better to the director. Because that's how I am as a performer. I'm very hands-on. I try to uh, uh, incorporate some of the things um, physically and mentally and emotionally that the character is going through or would go through, uh, especially job-wise. So for me, it just it was something I, I wanted to do to understand more. And then I just proceeded to act in some audition for an act in some of the worst movies made. I would say beyond the state, but definitely the state of Michigan. And it wasn't just that the movies were bad, the experiences were even worse. So it wasn't like, well, we had a pretty good time, it was challenging, and it didn't all come together. You know, because sometimes it's a perfect storm to to make it come together, as you well know as a right, filmmaker yep. too. Yes, yep. But it was like, you know, to show people and then the the experiences themselves were so bad. And I remember thinking like it helped me relate better the film class, but man, it, if this is how it is all the time, I don't even know if I want to keep doing this uh, acting wise. And then I started thinking, you know what? I did that film class. I didn't get good grades in it because I really did the projects I wanted to make. I didn't follow the curriculum very well. <laughs> and, um, and, and you know, it was like then a rebel was born because I just was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Um, but I found doing it, and the people that were working on it had a good time. And I remember feeling like, screw it, I'm just going to make my own stuff. Now, I continued to act like I do still uh, for other people. Uh, you know, I'm with some different talent agencies in the state and stuff like that, but I was just more much more picky and choosy. So since 1999, I do have to update my site. So humbly, the numbers you gave, there's, there's more to be added to those. Oh my goodness, man. They sound, I mean, it's impressive. Just <laughs> that's, I mean, look, let me tell you, it's amazing. I know it when I came to the site and I look, I'm like, dude, this is a massive amount of work that you put in. You know what I mean? And so at, at one of the things, well, I have a couple questions, but the first one, this well, the second question. When I look at your is work, is this where I give you my mother's maiden name and my first pet's name, <laughs> right. and my favorite? <laughs> and what did you say in the email? Um, the first model car that I owned and where I went to high school and the first street that I lived on. Right, was that I want all, the, all the history. I want all the okay, history. Okay, all the those security <laughs> code questions. Right. Okay, right, I got it. Right. Right. Man, like when I look at your your work, it reminds me. It's, it's kind of a I call it a gumbo of a lot of different things that that I, I mean, as a film head, like I've I've grew up watching films, man, and and I grew up going to the video store. I would like spend my time, like you know, I'll take my bike and ride it to the video store and be in there for hours just looking at films, and I'll grab five movies, you know, VHS tapes, and come back home you know, and watch these films over the weekend. And so I've seen so many different things, man, at a young age. And so when I look at some of your work, I see like, I see a little James Dean. I see Marlon Brando. I see like film noir. I see um, like just kind of like this vintage feel to a lot of your work, man. And and talk about some of your influences. Because where you watching films as a kid, 
you know, um, when you started making films or did you just kind of jump into it? Well, first off, thank you so much. I mean, those, those are definitely uh, constant sources of inspiration to me and, and heroes of mine, uh, personally and professionally as well. You know, when I, especially, uh, you know, James Dean died so young, man, he's only 24. Um, but, you know, Brando's life, he just did so much as an activist during the civil rights movement, uh, really put himself out there um, for for Native Americans and Native American causes. And, and when I look at kind of his life and Paul Newman's, uh, even Sean Penn's currently, I, I would like to aspire to doing something uh, you know, more philanthropic like that at some point in time down the road. But, you know, I, those are definitely influences on me. I do love film noir. Um, I've done many different genres and, uh, and I like to feel that I can, I can humbly kind of do eventually any genre, you know, someday I'm going to make a musical, someday I'm going to make, you know, a period piece or a war film. Someday I'm going to do all those things because I have an interest in all of them. Um, but man, I definitely started out at, I'm always first and foremost before that laundry list of, of things I do career-wise uh, as positions in a field. Um, I'm first and foremost a movie lover. Like that's where it started was as a, as a young kid, watching movies, being entertained by movies, um, being too young to understand when something really affected me, even as a child. Uh, and then also appreciating the um, element of escapism that films can give you. So you can either either be kind of more in touch with yourself and feel like that sense of community as a human being and something a part of yourself that is uh, uh, kind of um, uh, universal in all people and all humanity. And also it can give you escapism to just put your life on hold and be entertained, whether it's through um, something suspense, suspenseful or something comedic or whatever it is. Uh, so I always started as a, a movie lover and then it kind of, you know, I have a good memory and I remember these things, but there's nothing more boring than somebody talking about how precocious they were as a kid. So I will say, you know, I've, I've heard from family and, and people uh, when I was growing up that, you know, I, I was a pretty precocious kid. I grew up with a lot of uh, friends my age, but I spent a lot of time with my parents and their friends. So I had, you know, I had friends my age, but they also, my folks struggled money-wise and a lot of their friends struggled money-wise. So they would do game nights and I was on a lot of people's trivial pursuit teams and Yahtzee teams. And, um, I, they didn't treat me like a kid, you know? Mm -hmm. So I would do impersonations of people, of them, of neighbors, of relatives, of different characters and movies at the time, um, different actors. Child. Yes, yep. I have an older half brother, but we're not we're not close. Okay. Um, that was from my father's uh, previous marriage, but um, 
but yeah, so I was an only child and, and they just didn't treat me like a little kid. They didn't treat me like, you know, they just were adults around me and they, I grew up pretty quickly through that. Hmm. Yeah, no, man. I, um, so, but I want to, I want to talk more about some of these like early influences though, like, um, on you, like I, I can remember Pulp Fiction uh, when it came out. It was like '94. I believe yeah. Pulp Fiction came out '94. I was, I was 14. I think yeah, I was 14 then. And um, I remember seeing that film on VHS, and I was I was running around making you know films on a VHS camera and stuff at 14, and and that film came out, and. I was like, like you said earlier, you saw some things and you just, you were too young to understand really the impact it was having on you, but it, ha- it was having an impact on you, you know? Um, well, and then there's also the element of like 14 might be too young for somebody to watch Bob Fiction. <laughs> Gimp in the basement scene is like, what is going on? Even now as an adult, you could go, man, okay. Yes. That's, that's not a place you want to be. <laughs> not at all. Like I, and I think you know my parents did a pretty good job at. They they would police some some things, but there was just some stuff that they just didn't like. You know, I, I was a big anime fan. You know, as a kid, you know, you you're, you're looking at some things, and sometimes you're looking at films for the wrong reasons. You know, and oh, and yeah. you know, and, and usually those wrong. It's curiosity, man. Exactly. I mean, as a young man, as a young person, but a young man, you know. It's like I I had a friend who, you know, his older brother, like he he found a like a VHS porn tape of his older brothers. And it's like because there's that curiosity, man. Yes. It's the same thing as as a, a young man just watching any narrative film is you're you know, you don't understand the complexities of a, of a film like Pulp Fiction, but you can you can get some of it you can get yeah. a little bit of it you know i knew that it was like i knew the the narrative structure was different than anything i'd ever seen like and that's what got me i was like this film is all over the place like and it was just cool you know so even at that age i was like this isn't like anything i've watched before and i was trying to make like pulp fiction with the vhs camera with you know with my friends in the neighborhood but but i mean that's what i want to see I want to see that footage, man. Oh my god! I want man. to see that footage. I've been trying to find some of my old footage, man. This is crazy, but but you know, what what were some early you know things on you that was there anything that you saw that was like, yep, this is I want to be a filmmaker after seeing this. Well, like I said, it it really didn't start out for me honestly until I was at Lansing Community College as a young adult that. I had no intention of making films. I loved movies. I loved going to movies. And when I was growing up, you know, in our household, there were a lot of movies that, that was back when HBO was like, they showed like five movies all the time. And mm-hmm. and then late at night, it was like Skinamax, you know? Yep. And uh, <laughs> we all saw four, you know, porn movies, man. It was like, you know, the guy showing short of of like the guy showing up with the pizza right. it was short of that you know they tried to give it like a little bit of panache but it didn't have that um but 
something that really affected me a lot. I could I could name some movies that I saw then that really still hold places in my heart of nostalgia and uh and and affected me but music was a big part so so both my folks love classic rock music so we listened you know buddy holly's playing all the time johnny cash um the rolling stones uh marvin gay otis redding uh those were you know stevie wonder jimi hendrix the Doors, I, I, I listened to a lot of music from the 50s, 60s, 70s. And then obviously growing up in the 80s, um, you know, I gravitated to hip hop and, and uh, a lot of new wave music as well. So those things influenced me a lot. I mean, I think it, it influenced me in a way that I'm somebody that I can I can listen to gene vincent and then i can i can switch and listen to the wu-tang clan mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so my my taste is kind of all over the place um and i think musically it affected me a lot for what i kind of gravitate toward for finding in my own films musically but when i think of movies at that time that really affected me like jaws Mm-hmm. obviously the uh the original star wars trilogy uh, you know we're from that era man where it's like i love debating with younger cats about the prequels and the and it's like you know i try not to ruffle any feathers with some there's, guys there's that no I, debate <laughs> you know i'm like i would re- well the prequels aren't as bad as you th- I, i'd rather have my teeth cleaned than sit and watch those man right so you know and they don't get it so but when when we were growing up, like the trilogy, the original trilogy, just it was movie magic. It was swashbuckling. It was adventurous. It and it still is. And that nostalgia is there for me. Yeah. But Jaws really affected me. I was scared to, like a lot of people, to go swimming. I mean, mm-hmm. I I remember being scared as a little kid. Like I wouldn't go to into a pool one summer because of which doesn't make any damn sense. But when you're five, <laughs> right. you know, uh, Halloween, the original Halloween, uh, John Carpenter's 1978 Halloween, uh, just scared the crap out of me. Yeah, um, to this day, man, if I go put laundry in late at night, I just, I'm looking, I just look around the corner, man. And it's no, it, the suspense in that movie top-notch they don't um, man they and don't then make... go ahead go ahead no no please please no i'm listening to you and i'm, I'm i i, I want to say you know it's kind of it's bittersweet listening to what you're saying because i think about the films today no you know the horror films and those and the blockbusters and those type of films like the, the star wars and the jaws and like we just today we well okay i'm not going to say that like there there's there, there can be some kid that that watches you know, Star Wars, a five year they watch Star Wars today and it has the same effect on them, you know, as Star Wars, Star Wars in, in the 70s did, you know, the original trilogy. So, but what I guess what I was saying was, I think sometimes film, the films, they lose their effect on, um, on us. I think the, the wow factor, like back then, like you see a Jaws or you see a Star Wars and I'm just like, no one had ever seen anything like that ever. You know what I'm saying? And so 
nowadays you're so desensitized it's just so much and the effects are just all over the top and there's really no film and i'm speaking about adults now there's no film that we can see i think today that really puts us in that place that you know they put us in back then because i mean it's just we're so desensitized there's just so much stuff coming at us you know but like you say, the horror films, I mean, it's so hard to find a good horror film that, that really has you afraid, you know, um, it's so hard to find a good blockbuster like a Jaws or a Star Wars that you're just like, what did I just watch? The only thing I think that did that for me in recent times was, was Avatar. Um, I didn't like Avatar as a movie. I just liked it as a spectacle. Like, you know what I mean? It was just very, uh, the 3D was amazing, but the movie was like, eh. Well, that story's been done so many times. Yeah, yeah. And and I remember the spectacle of it. I remember going with a girlfriend at the time. And, you know, we, we went to the theater and it was in the 3D. And there was a point in time that it was like, okay, it was about part, I wouldn't even say halfway through the movie. It was about a third of the way through it that it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to sit and watch the rest of it because I don't, I don't get up through movies, even if I don't like it at all. And, uh-huh. and being a filmmaker myself, even when I've been on selection committees and for film festivals, and it's like, you know, there's few and far between of really, really good movies that you're seeing. I owe it to the filmmaker to watch the thing all the way through. But with Avatar, there was a moment that she and I like looked at each other kind of side eyed and we're like, it's kind of, I'm I'm over it already you know like the spectacle of it was like oh it's so cool it's amazing um when I think back man one of the last movies that like adventurous that really affected me like that was uh Terminator 2 Mm. that was a movie that I think you know Cameron mixed and again talk about James Cameron but that was a film that mixed there was there was a good story with with great cinematography and editing and good acting and the special effects just played into it where mm-hmm. where things now you know i feel like the old guy like get off my lawn yeah um, yeah but it's like they're just there's they're too effect heavy and you know in the same way that if somebody said well jaws didn't affect them which makes no sense because they keep remaking that damn movie as right. you know 40, 40 meters down or whatever the hell it was. Um, the, Meg, the Meg, all these other movies. The other <laughs> always, it's just trying to remake Jaws. And Jaws is always going to be better than those because brilliant filmmaker, brilliant score, acting, everything. Compelling mm-hmm. characters, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's what it comes down and, to, man. Big time. And I think, I think, um, you know, we're still talking big budgeted movies. I mean, you know what, Halloween was a $300,000 budget in 1977 when they made not, I mean, $300,000 budget for us, I'd be like, man, I could reinvent the wheel with that, you know? (laughs) Right. Um, You know, I could, there'd be so much, but on, on that Hollywood level, that's a low budget movie. And I think sometimes where we are as indie filmmakers is 
you have to be very creative. You don't have a ton of time. You don't have, um, like Robert Rodriguez would say, a, a money hose to just spray on the problems. And it forces you to make, I mean, look, every story's been done in some kind of combination of things. Where do you get your ideas, man? I mean, this is a lot of work to put. Like, I mean, how often are you making films? Like, are you doing one or two or three a year? Like, how do you, I mean, where do you get your inspiration from? You said music obviously is a big inspiration and other, you know, all these things you mentioned, but are there other areas where, you know, you get a film for an idea for a film? Talk about that too, man, like your inspiration and then like your work, your, 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 uh, your process when you approach. Well, so I think for me, it, it, it's a, it's similar in the, the context that I'm trying to tell the story as, as truthfully as possible. So, so there always comes a point in time for me with a story that, um, you know, different things could pop off as an idea. Am I coming back to it? Um, you know, I, I can get together with a lot of different people and, and you and myself, for instance, we could, you know, back in the day when you could go to a coffee shop um, <laughs> and have a coffee uh, and talk right. <laughs> um, or a bar or a restaurant or something, uh, you know, we could come up with an idea and go, oh, that's great. Now, the next time we meet up, does that come back up again? Does that stay while life and other things and other projects are going on? Are we going back to that? Like, when are we going to do that? Or does it just kind of like, yeah, the fire to it isn't really there. So, you know, I have, you know, I would assume for a lot of other writer directors, you know, I have notebooks full of, of different ideas. And I, I have one in particular notebook that has, you know, about three pages worth of titles with a description of the, the film. So feature films, short films, um, web series to music videos to a bunch of other things. And those have all been things that I've had at least for a few years. So those are all things I would like to do at some point. And then something new pops up that sometimes all the, the planets align for that project to happen. Um, sometimes it's like, the project that you're working and toiling over for, for years, it still needs this and this and this to happen. But this other idea, Oh crap, we could put that together. I can do that. We could do that by next month, you know, and it could be happening by that time. Um, which is the great, a great thing independently is like, we don't have a lot of at times resources and money behind things, not, not meaning, they're no budget projects because we're still putting everything we have into them. And whether you're getting some investors or people donating money or helping out, there's still a budget there. So I don't want that to ever get confused. Um, you know, it's not like, well, just show up with a camera and we'll do something. No, these are very well thought out projects. Um, but there's other times that everything comes together and you can, we don't have the resources and the money, but we also aren't, um, we, we don't have to adhere to anybody else. We don't have to, I don't have to check with so-and-so to make this film, you know, 
I don't have to wait for somebody to tell me to do it or not. Um, and, and I think, you know, one thing seriously that I thank God for, because I talked to, not to get off on a tangent, but I, I, this is important to say, is uh, I talked to so many other actors, especially, that, um, you know, I love actors. I'm an actor myself. But some of the most annoying people in the world are actors. They're so self-centered, man. Not all of them. But they're so self-centered, they're focused on themselves, their thing in the film, right? Which is important, that's good. But it carries over into their real life or the real life carries over into how they work. Uh, which was something that I learned from doing that film class was like, oh, okay, the first thing was, and this is a long time ago, but the first thing was, ah, just because I have a question as an actor or anybody on the crew or cast, it might not be the most important thing to ask. And timing wise, I don't need to ask it right now because I can see the director is overwhelmed or they're dealing with a bunch of different things. So don't just cut right in there and ask your question. You know, they're dealing with a lot of other things. So it really helped me to be patient and to kind of find the right, in a lot of its timing, the timing to come ask my question. It's important to me to playing this, this character in this scene, but it's not more important than anything else that, that they're dealing with at that time. So that helped me. Um, but dealing with actors, man, is like, have something else. There's a great piece of advice that, that John Lithgow has said many times in interviews. And, and he didn't say this and then I started doing it. I just thank God that I did it already, is find something that's just yours. He said, this is my advice to actors. Find something that's just yours whether it's writing or playing music or painting or whatever, sports, whatever it is, that you can do that nobody else is needed for. It's just yours. Because acting, you're waiting for somebody else to give you the opportunity. So when I started, you know, I do a lot of things. I, I write music. I, I've written poetry and short stories and stuff for a long, long, long time before I actually started doing anything. Uh, creative was, was definitely writing poetry and, and prose. Um, but having that, you know, I, th I think out every day that he instilled that in me that I don't need to, to go to somebody else to, to make, to make me whole creatively, you know, mm -hmm. I, that's interesting, man. That's, that's well, interesting I just, quote. you know, I just, not to say I haven't gotten nervous before auditions, not to say I haven't screwed up in some auditions because of my nerves, but I honed that and worked at it to really reach the point of not giving a fuck after that, you know? That, that right. I just, I, yeah. it's not that I don't care at all. It's like, I can't let that weigh me down. Like, I did my thing. Right, I right. moved on from it. You know, um, we, I've mentioned this to you a lot before because, you know, like sincerely, Brenda was so well done, man. And I, I said, um, you know, 
hope someday that we get a chance to work together. And, uh, and me as an actor, I'm very particular too. It's like, I, I can go audition all day long for the, the commercial stuff and I can sell the product and do whatever. And that's fine. I can, I can come in and do my thing and leave, but I'm, I'm extremely picky about narrative stuff because I'm really putting, mm -hmm. I want to put something into this and I was cast for a reason that is in my eyes unique to anybody else that you could ever cast in, in that role. And, mm -hmm. and you know, when I, when I think of something like that, you you want to be, you want to bring something to it. So if we had that opportunity to work together, I'm going to bring everything I have to it. But what I'm not going to do is leave set and then go, man, I should have said this. I should have tried this. Why didn't I? I'm not that guy. And I'm not the guy to go, mm. you know, uh, well, after the shoot's over with, what would you have changed about your performance? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> because the crazy... No, leave it all on the floor, man. Floor, but you can't look at it, and I look at my own work this way, too, not just as an actor, but as a filmmaker, is it's not about it being perfect. There is no perfect. There is no perfection. I feel like I'm, me, I'm, I'm a painter. So there are going to be cracks in the work and there are going to be moments that you are completely in that illusion. And then if you look at a certain way, you can see, you can see the brush strokes. I'm okay with it. I, yeah, I would rather good. it be as real as possible than so flawless in its design that it has no art. Yeah. Right, man. You say something, some great stuff, man. It was funny as I used to be an actor, man. That's all I did. I grew up um, acting on stage, like through middle school, elementary school, middle school, high school, and then even college. And then I did community theater. That's how I met Rico Bruce oh, Wayne, gotcha. actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Here in Lansing. Yeah. So I, I grew up, man. I went to go to Hollywood to be an actor. But but you say something. You said like uh, about being perfect, not trying to be perfect. And I think as an a stage actor, I did well on stage. I, I tried to transition to screen and I did not like it. The stage, you can get away with a lot of things. Like, you know, you can be big, you can, you can, you know, do all these things because people are kind of far away from you and you have to be big. Um, and I started doing acting workshops for, for the screen and the guy, my, my director was like, you're not on stage. You have to be, you have to be small. Yeah. You have to be, uh, your, your, your emotion has to be um, discreet in certain times and you have to, you, you, your camera sees everything. And so he's, he always said, you're too much of a cerebral actor. And I'm like, yeah, that's the problem. And so when you said that, like I stopped, I'm like, I don't ever want to be a screen actor. I'm not going to be good at it. Like what I can be good at is providing being a, a director and knowing I have so much love for actors, providing a space for actors to not be afraid. So it's like, you know, you're not aiming for perfection, but it's like you have to create a space as a director where they don't, they're, they, they, they're, they can take chances and you, 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 so you don't look crazy. Like, don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to fail on this take. Like, just go for it, you know, and create that safe space. And I had in my last uh, series that I just did, that's on Facebook. Um, the, the two two of my lead actors, uh, they had never met before like that. And they had so much chemistry in the film. And 
um, and this is Ival, and I and I asked um, the actor, I said, what did you guys say to each other? Because you'd never met and the chemistry was amazing. And she said that the lead guy told her, wherever you go, I'll be there with you. Don't worry, I got you, I'll be there. I'm like, bro, that's like, you know, and so that's the type of environment, you know, and that's, that's why I'm like, I, I give, I'm not acting anymore. Like I rather help people that are better than me that are, that have greatness in them that don't, that haven't tapped into it and I can see it. I want to help them. You know, that's my purpose, you know, to, to be able to help them um, tap into that greatness that's in them. And so when you said that, man, it's not aiming for perfection, but it's like not being afraid to fail. Well, you have <laughs> you know? to, you know, I, I've done a lot of, acting for the camera classes that I've taught and something that that I always try to instill in, in students that I've had and then people that I've cast in my own films um, is you have to have the confidence to make mistakes. You have to be mm -hmm. able in in a trusting environment, you know, if, if, if there's a filmmaker that starts making fun of people, that person is going to make lousy work. I don't care what they make. They're going to make lousy work. And I don't even care if it comes out well. There's something to it that's, that's stained. Um, I had an editor that I worked with or that I was just starting to work with back in the day. And, uh, and the first time we were working on, on a Rebel Pictures project, you know, he just, there was some footage that just got paused and it was like the actor was making a, a weird face, you know, um, which happens sometimes, you know, you stop the footage right in a moment and somebody's one eye open, mouth half open. And he was making jokes about this actress. And I told him, I said, look, dude, if you don't have the confidence to get up in front of the camera, then don't say another word. Don't do not. I'm protective of you but I'm also protective of her and what she does. Mm -hmm. You have a special talent and ability, but actors, man, if you don't have the balls to get up in front of the camera, then just stay, be the tech guy, shut up about it. Don't make mm -hmm. fun of somebody when you're not, when you don't have the balls to do what they do. So mm -hmm. I, I'm very protective of, of my actors and performers, but I was going to say something that's, that's interesting, man, is, you know, one of my favorite directors is uh, uh, Ilya Kazan. And, and I think Kazan was a great director because he did act. He, you know, that's something you can bring to it is understanding and respecting actors. Because I don't know about you, but I uh -huh. worked with enough people that did not respect actors, did not give direction, and direction doesn't mean puppet stringing people. And direction right. also doesn't mean just pushing them out in front of the camera and allowing the actor to pull everything out of their hat to use because you have not talked to them about what you're aiming for. And I also had a guy that I worked with years ago that we were at a showing of a short film that he did, and he, he would never say this to me. Um, but he was, he was like ripping apart my co-star in it to me. And he was like, you know, she didn't do what I wanted her to and blah, blah, blah. I said, that's on you, man. That is on you. You're the director. You are the, the final word in what we are all doing on screen. And again, 
if you don't have the cojones to say what you want and what you needed, you can't say anything right now. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta chew and swallow those words, man, because you had an opportunity to say something and you didn't. That's not her fault. That's your fault. Right. And he like right. looked at me. I go, dude, that is your fault. Own it. Oh, that's real, man. I always look at directing and and almost like a parent or a therapist, sometimes both. Like, and, you know, sometimes you have to, I say that, like more, sometimes more therapist. I had, a, I had an actress that she would get to a certain spot in, 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 in the take and she would just, she wouldn't go there. And I can, you know, if you're, you're watching your actors and you're watching, it's not just what they're saying. It's not the lines. It's like, what is behind the lines? What is in their eyes? What are their body movements? All this, these little details that I'm watching. And she would get to a certain spot and she would just stop. And I'm like, cut, cut, cut. Okay, let's do it again. And like, so after about a couple of takes, I'm like, what is going on? And so um, I pull her to the side and I just say, hey, you know, what, what's what's going on when you get to this certain spot? Like what's happening here? And she's just like, well, you know, I'm like, I'm listening to what she's saying about it, but it's something deeper. And I ask one question. I ask her a question. Not even about the film. I just asked her, does she know anyone in life dealing with what the scene is about? And she starts crying. And then I'm like, what, what, like, can I move? Let's move out of the room. We move into a totally different room. And I'm like, what's going on? And she opens up to me about the situation um, and the person. And then I say, Okay, you have to use that. And not because it's gonna be great, it's gonna make the film great. It's like you have to use it. I said that you have to use that because someone watching this film is going to be healed by that. Like the spirit of what that spirit of that, they're gonna, it's gonna catch them and they're gonna, and it, it, this wasn't necessarily Brenda, but like it, it, and I said, you have to go there, you have to be willing to go there because someone's gonna watch it and be healed by it. And so that freed her up and she went there, man. Like, and so it was crazy um, because for me, that's directing, man. It's like, it's like, okay, what can I pull out? Like I said it earlier, the greatness, that, that thing, that the spirit, connecting to the spirit of whatever it is, being as honest as it can, like you said, being honest to the material. Because I look at these characters, like we create these characters in our stories but these are real people to me. Like these are real people. There are spirits that come into like, they're, they're, they're downloading into, downloading into our heads. Like the ideas, it's a spiritual thing. And then we create these characters. God's trusting us with this, with these people, these characters. And we have to be honest with this material and put it out there because someone is going to watch it and it's going to touch them in a way that you didn't even anticipate. <laughs> well, you know, it's like too, with, with the character, you know, as a writer, I can look at something and say, if we if we were collaborating on a project and saying, okay, you know, this character's kind of, you know, the visible villain. He's the character or she's the character that the audience is not going to like. But the person playing that, or if I'm playing that, I can't give any judgment to that person. You know, I can't, I can't play the I did a a show at LCC about five years ago because I don't get a chance to do a lot of stage work just because of the time involved. Um, but I, I was in a streetcar named Desire and I played Stanley Kowalski and it was like, I can't 
play Stanley as the abusive, alcoholic, misogynistic pig that he is. Uh-huh. I have to, I have to make, I have to make him real. Where's so, the humanity? Where's the humanity? But also, what are his motivations? And mm-hmm. I can't look at it as, you know, for instance, in in Fairview Street, uh, one of the, one of the actors, one of my actors in it, Jeff Bone, who played Detective Massey. You know, he's he's essentially the visible villain in the film. He's the one that you know, is, is set up against the protagonist. And, but I told him, I said, you can't play him as the bad guy. You have to play him that his assumptions as this cop, as this detective are 90% right. And his assumptions on my character, James, is he would be right nine out of 10 times. His judgment is clouded. His personal experience with this guy previously, before this guy went to prison, he just, he, you know, 70% of people, the recidivism rate, this guy's going to be back in. He's a piece of crap. He's blah, blah, blah. Well, he might have been right a lot of the time that this guy would have went back to what he was doing, but he can't play it that way. You have to play him as he's the hero in his own story. No, that and that makes sense, man. And that's how, like, I don't know if you've seen um, Daredevil, the first season of Daredevil on Netflix. And this comes yeah. to mind. I mean, you can, yeah. it, it, yeah. and, and Kingpin was absolutely amazing. And I think for that, you know, it was crazy how much I, I don't think I'd ever rooted for a villain and I wasn't 100% rooting for him but I was like it's just when you see him as a child what happened to it in his childhood and it's like again and I think this is where where I was going with that that and this is what where you know it, it's it's no one and I believe this no one is born bad like and so what shapes a person and that's what I love about you know creating characters and and not even just characters but just people period we, we're talking about people humanity like it's like no People, yeah, people can make some terrible decisions and choices. Um, but I'm always like, what shaped that? You know, and that's kind of like where I'm when, when I'm writing, I'm always like, what shaped this person? Right. Yeah. So now kind of like transitioning to I, I wanted to ask you this question because I, I see, you know, um, you and your dad, man, it's, you guys seem like you have a special relationship. And um, I now um, you mentioned Paul Newman earlier. It's been interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Man, like, you know, you mentioned Paul Newman earlier, and I'm like, you know, I see, you know, your dad, you know, man, you guys are like Butch Cassidy, the Sundance kid, like minus the, the you know, the illegal activity that they were doing. But Well, I mean, you are recording this, so I don't want to say anything that'll be used in a court of law. <laughs> when, once man, the limitations expire, then I'll be completely honest. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but bro, like I mean, you guys, you guys are always together. Um, he's in your films. You guys have like a special relationship, man. It seems like you know. And I wanted to ask you. I mean, what was your father into films? What was it? Uh, did you just throw him in? Like, hey, dad, you know, hey, just you know, let's do this. And and he's like, okay, cool. Or was he an actor? 
you know, um, back in the day. I thought I saw an interview to say he was in he was in advertising or something. Yeah, he um, uh, once the the circus ended and he was able to leave the the Barnum and Bailey show. No. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's just a character, man. I mean, honestly, he was he was always somebody when I was a kid that he was telling great stories. He's still the, you know, I think for me, he kind of gives Richard Pryor um, a run for his money as being like the best storyteller, like to just, you're sitting around and he's telling a story. Uh, he's a great storyteller and, and he's a character, you know, he's, he's lived a full life. He always tells these grandiose stories that are just, you know, really funny and poignant and dramatic and a mixture of all those things. And then, you know, before I came around, he was, he was a, you know, a disc jockey in upstate New York. Um, he did drag racing. Uh, he worked when he came back to Michigan and met my mom, he, he ended up working at the Capitol for a Senator for a while. And, you know, he's just, he's had a, a, a very strange story life. And, um, and what happened was I was doing, he had no interest in acting. Uh, so I pulled him into some things, but I was doing a short film uh, called The Tin God, and um, which I think is available on YouTube now, but it was, this was back in like 2004. And, uh, and it, was, it was funny because there was a bit part in it. And, you know, my character is like a, uh, forced to retire detective um, who's doing like uh, private security now. And this was a flashback sequence where my character's chasing uh, a child killer and there's kind of a showdown, the car, this car chase and a showdown. And um, <laughs> so I was talking with the director and I was like, man, my dad would be great as that, as that child killer, and um, which was strange. But, but it really came down to the fact that it was the car chase. So he's a classic car guy. We used um, an older, out-of-date uh, undercover cop car that we had that my character drove. And then he has a uh, 66 uh, Chevelle Malibu um, that that his character drove in it. So there's a sequence where he comes up on this bridge, he jumps out and he, you know, pulls out this rolled up carpet, which has this, this girl who's murdered in it and he throws it over the bridge. And, and my character is like the car breaks down and he's running down the road at him. Um, so that was really his like start. He did that. There's no dialogue or anything. And, uh, and then there was another short film that I did that he he was in uh, playing my character's father, but there was no dialogue or anything. It was a little flashback sequence. And it was when I was putting my first feature together when I was doing Fairview Street that I remember thinking like, he's going to do, and this is like the intuition as a director that you have to have is casting is so important. If you are pushing and pulling with somebody, they're miscast. Um, mm -hmm. And I'd even go a step further from what you was like. It's not just therapist. I mean, with with an actor, you have to 
you're you're a therapist, you're a psychologist, you're a psychiatrist, you are best friend, you are worst enemy, you are uh, <laughs> at times you are at times a security blanket, you are all those things, you know. And um, there's a great quote from from Donald Sutherland that uh, you know, and he's not he's not meaning sexually at all, but he was like the movies that worked best for him as a performer were movies that he said he had a love affair with the director. He's like, you have to be, you got to be just into each other and you got to be, you know, especially the, any actor, but you know, the bigger the role is you're spending more time with that person and there's got to be a connection there. And when there's a disconnect, you know, and, and you as a director too, you know, you're working with all these different performers, different temperaments, different styles, different experiences to bring them to where they are at this point in their life. And and then you're also unknowingly, you know, you're working on the next project in their life. So did they just come off a really good thing? Are they comparing it? Was the last four movies they did crap? they didn't get finished, they weren't happy with it, they, they don't like to be talked to this way. You don't know any of that sometimes. Um, so, you know, and, and for me as a director, I'm only gonna bend backwards so far. You know, there's a point like, I wanna create a space of trust for you as a, as a performer, but you also have to trust me a little bit too. And everything can't exactly the way you need it and want it because then it's going to be stereotypically the same thing that you're doing every single time. You know, there's nothing better than when I'm working with a director as an actor that gets me to a place that I haven't been before. You know, I, I want to be pushed and, and stretched in a way. I don't want it to come out um, like a habitual performance that I give you know, um, and that only comes through trust. But so it was putting Fairview Street together and just knowing my dad's done this a little bit, but they haven't been speaking parts, very limited camera time, limited shooting time. So now I'm trying to talk him into doing a really important supporting role in a feature film that again, what did we say at the beginning of this? Not a lot of time, not a lot of resources. So, you know, that's an that's an hour and 50-minute movie that we shot in nine days straight. Wow. And we had two extra days of pickups that there were three se- small sequences that had no dialogue that we had to, to push to that weekend. And then there was one dialogue scene between he and I that we had to do on that, that pickup again. But the rest of it was in that nine day straight shoot. Um, and it demands a lot, man. You know that from doing a feature. I mean, any yeah. projects, yeah. acting, emotionally, physically, spiritually, everything. But a feature is just, it's bigger. It's, it's more involved. There's more, there's more that can go wrong with it. You know, mm-hmm. I always feel like when I'm making a project creatively, as a filmmaker, it's like I'm running with a 50 pound safe on a tightrope from a rooftop to a rooftop. And you're just 
each thing you're hoping you don't fall, you know? And the, mm-hmm. the bigger the project, the higher up the building is and the longer the, the tightrope is. So there's a more of an opportunity for things to, to you know, foul up on it. Um, but that, that experience, you know, I can't, I can't put it in any other way. It was, it was great and it was taxing at the same time because you know once he's on camera he's great i mean he is extremely natural he doesn't let all the chaos around affect him at all as an actor in the moment but you know he had a thing especially then where his you know we're super close but his nerves are getting the best of him leading up to it so it took me a long time to kind of explain the character, the situations, what we're doing. There was a lot of pre-production that was just he and I gearing up for the shoot. And, and then, you know, he was in Handlebar after that. He was in, uh, he had just a, a brief sequence in Waiter from Hell. And then Buffalo was the film. He was a feature. He was a main character, the lead. Yeah, I mean Buffalo, he was the lead in, and he, and that was that was also like you know years of pre-production of saying like here's an idea, I want you in it, and then we would talk about it. Like mm-hmm. this, sequ- once we were filming, it was like this is the part that I was telling you about before. This is the moment that we had discussed. This is the thing that you know. So he, I do that with a lot of my actors, but he he was much more prepared and didn't bring some of that off the camera baggage that he did, obviously when he first started, you know, um, oh, cause it is a daunting thing, man. It's like, it is for anybody that doesn't think it's difficult is like, do it that, um, you know, for anybody that there, there was a, a guy, um, a good friend of mine that I grew up with Jared root, who was Bobby stone in, uh, in Fairview Street, and he was also a, a character, Ricky, in, in my third feature, Lucky. Well, he was a non-actor. He was just somebody that I knew he was perfect for this role. And the same thing, took time, talked him through what was going to happen. And there was a point in time shooting Fairview Street that he was like, man, how the hell do you do this all the time? Like, I am so drained right now, you know? Man, it is, it is crazy. <laughs> like, because you, you, you're on this high in the beginning and then you hit the, you know, you, you, you hit the middle and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. We're, and then it's just like with sincerely Brenda, there was this point, everybody was happy and we were shooting weekends. So, you know, when you're shooting, like you said, you shot February Street nine days straight, at least, you know, you know, okay, we got nine days straight with the, with, with the weekend thing. It's like, you know, you got that week in between where you just kind of lose momentum and you got to try to get it back again that next week, you know, and then, and then you get a couple, we did like six weekends, I think um, we skipped the weekend. So by the, by the three quarters of the way through, it was kind of like the morale was kind of going down, but everybody still kept great attitudes, but you could tell, man, we were like, okay, let's just push through. Let's push through. We had a couple of crazy late nights and then a, and a, and a turnaround. We had like a, like, one night it kind of went longer than we anticipated because it was complex scenes. We, I think we left set at three and then we had a turnaround. We had to be back at set another uh, eight 
which that's crazy, but we we had no choice, you know, and that was a, a kind of a, that day was, <laughs> but man, you know, it's like, you do this, you're tired, you're frustrated, but then uh, it's like, man, I, and that, that was, that was kind of like my, my, one of my last questions for you is, is what drives you, man, you go through, we go through all this and it's what, what drives you in particular, like what drives you to keep going? I think, I think that's a great question. That is obviously one from my therapist, but um, <laughs> I think um, it's, it's the want to create. It's the want to connect, um, you know, in the same context, like I want to connect with an audience, but I really don't care what the audience thinks. I don't make projects and go, well, I could say like, is, is this going to make sense? Did, am I connecting dots in my head because I'm, I wrote this or co-wrote it or, or whatever. Um, but I, I'm not going to make something and say, well, the audience is going to not like this. Um, so we got to have it go this way. Like I, I can't imagine making a project with a test audience and comment cards. And I, I would really not like that because so many films end up getting changed because that particular group you talked to felt this way. And, you know, I think of like pretty in pink, for instance, like the test audience, you know, didn't, didn't like the fact that, Ducky was going to get the girl. So they changed it. So then Blaine gets the girl. And then everybody now goes, why didn't Ducky get the girl? <laughs> you know? So you had one yeah. test audience. They listened to everything on. I just think it's ridiculous. Like no other art form does that. Music doesn't do that. They don't go, well, we had a listening party and this is what the comments were from it. Even if executives have an opinion most of the time the musicians get the studio time they put a piece together and this is what it is mm -hmm. um, painters don't have somebody over their shoulder saying why are you using yellow right here you know uh, it, it's a strange it's a strange business so yeah. what drives you to create to connect to express um and to be truthful, to be truthful no matter what the genre is, to what the story that I feel is in unfolding in front of me. Because there is a point in time like you, I'm, I'm very passionate about this, that I agree, they, they, they're, the characters are real people. And then the movies themselves become, like, I don't have any children that I know of, knock on wood. Um, no, but I don't have any children. And, uh, and they're like my kids, man. It's yeah, like, when yeah. which one would you pick is the best? Well, it's like, pick who you, which brother or sister you like more, you know? Um, I can't do that. But I, I want to, you know, my, my dad today, we were, <laughs> long story, we were having a drive. He's had an issue with his phone where you want to, one of the seven circles of hell is going to try to get, disconnected from sprint by the way that is i'll say that about a product right now is like that is like a lost story from dante is trying to get out of the <laughs> cell phone 
contract with them. But so we were talking on, on the ride back and, um, you know, had entered uh, a recently a quarantine filmmaking competition that, that, that actually Rico Bruce Wade was, yeah, was my yeah. co-star in and wanted to make something, you know, during this time. So Rico, myself, my buddy, Eric Shaleko, it was literally the three of us that, that in one location, it's a five minute film, but that did this film called Choices. I, I had another friend of mine, Christian Bring It All, that, that did the sound editing. And I worked with a really talented writer friend, uh, Lauren Farabee, that's in Dallas. So it was kind of cool connecting them to it during this time. But, you know, humbly, they had 51 submissions, our film won best film. So my buddy Eric sends me a thing for a quarantine competition of 48.5 out of Detroit next week. And my dad said, you know, so, so in doing that one, I said, there's a lot of challenges, man. It's like, right now a lot of people aren't wanting to to do something creative interacting with people because they're worried about you know COVID-19 and uh, mm -hmm. and he said yeah but the last one you did did so well and I said I could give a crap about that like I'm <laughs> moving forward man like we didn't make the film for it to win awards um all the movies that the things the accolades that you you mentioned so so nicely at the beginning of this those weren't none of those movies were made with the the want for them to win at festivals i just tried to make the best damn movie that i could under the circumstances and i felt like they should do well in the context that they're appreciated or have a connection to. But if they don't, it's just, I got to keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, man. You got to keep moving forward. And that's, that's, that's something I think that I've run into a lot, man. Like, you know, I think this is, it's a tough, like it's a tough industry. It's difficult to get something off the ground and you work on a lot of moving parts and you work on people and, and resources that, you know, lack thereof or whatever. And, and and you just gotta sometimes just keep moving forward one day at a time. My wife told me, she said I, I was just just going through a down moment. This was like maybe a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago or something. And I was just in a in a kind of a dark place, man. And I'm like, I don't know why I'm doing this like anymore. And wife was like, just one project at a time, one story at a time, just one story at a time. And I think, like you said, you just gotta keep moving forward and and not think about all of those. It can be it can be um, just overwhelming if you think about the end goal all the time. You got to have an end goal in mind. But I think um, someone said I was listening to a podcast. It was Mike Tyson's podcast, and he had this guy on there that climbs all the. He does. He has these wingsuits. He flies all over the place in the wingsuits, and he climbs Mount Everest, the quickest in history. You know, his name is Joby something. I think, and and um, he said like Mike asked him like, how do you climb Mount Everest in eight hours. How do you do that? He said, I just break it down into like bite-sized pieces. He said, I segment the mountain. And and then, and it's the same thing, man. It's like, you have to just move forward, but 
segment, you know, like look at the small pieces, the small things, the small wins and, or you'll get overwhelmed and you just want to quit, <laughs> you know? And, and part of its perseverance is not resting on your laurels. Um, like what I was saying with my, my pop earlier is that's great that it, that choices did that. And that wasn't even that long ago. And I, and I, I can still enjoy that feeling. But when I move on to another project, look, we've made feature films, man. So it's like each project shouldn't be that difficult, especially if it's a shorter project, but it will in a different way. Right. And I always say this too, all the time is like, you know, have the confidence to make mistakes, but you're, you're going to make mistakes. Just make new ones. Mm. Don't, don't make the same ones. So, so if it's like, well, why is this happening again? Well, you know, because you did X, Y, and Z, and that was the outcome and you did it again, you know, uh, insanity, the definition of doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So mm -hmm. I, I know there's going to be adversity to overcome. I know there's going to be obstacles to overcome. And I think that's something in myself you know, I, I was talking with a guy that I had worked a lot with, uh, and, you know, he he gets overwhelmed, depression, and, and I, you know, I'm no better than that. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody, but I have to continue going. And he said, you know, we always say moving forward, moving forward, you know, that's, that's because you're, you're, you're hesitant or afraid to stay where you are. I said, I'm not going to sit in my unhappiness like you. I'm not going to dwell in that. I'm going to acknowledge it. I'm going to allow myself to feel the way that I feel. But then my next step is how do I get the heck out of this? How do I move forward from it? And I'm a firm believer that, you know, prayer is important. But God also gave us a brain to want to do things on our own as well. It's not just sitting back praying for things to get better. You know, you have to motivate yourself sometimes. I don't care if you have to lie to yourself sometimes to get through the thing. You know, just get over that hump. And I think sometimes as the filmmaker, as the director, as the leader, if you are not interested in your own project, why the hell should I be? Right. If you are not pumped by your own, pro you have to be the engine man. And you can't lie to yourself to make yourself excited. You have to be excited. Mm -hmm. You know, I always felt it was puzzling back in the day when I, when I would work on somebody's film and then I wouldn't hear from them the longest time. And then I would call them and say, hey, you know, how's, how's, you know, post going or the rest of the shoot or whatever. And uh, 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 it was this, it was that. And I'd get off the phone with them and then a, a few months would pass and I'd drop them a line again. And maybe there was a little bit of progress, but not much, if any. And I remember thinking like, why, why am I calling them about their own project? I have more, right. I'm more emotional than they are you have to be the one that's pumped about doing the thing if you're not nobody's gonna believe in you man nobody's gonna mm -hmm. it's not the idea look it's never the idea because 
everybody has ideas. I'm sure you've had this happen to you because I've had it happen. If I had a wheat penny for every time somebody told me they have a great idea for a movie, I'd be driving a different Ferrari every day of the week. Wheat penny. <laughs> and it's not the idea. It's really the person behind it. Because everything's been kind of done. But if it's like, no, I believe in Kenneth, man. I want to work with you on this. I like your the this project to this project to this project. I want to be a part of that. I think I can bring something to that. That's what it is. It's not always the idea. Sometimes it's the idea on paper might not even be something that strikes me as an actor, but it's what is it about how they're describing it? It's their passion behind it that, or their perspective in their passion behind it. Um, and that's what I want to bring to my work when I'm talking to somebody. Look, there's a million other comedies. There's a million other, you know, uh, uh, roman, roman, romantic comedy. I hate saying romantic comedies, but I was going to say rom-com and I stopped myself, thankfully. Uh, there's been a million of those. There's a million noir films. But what is it about this one that's going to be different? What is it about this one that's going to be unique? And humbly, it's because I'm the one in charge of it. And it's going to have a certain feel to it that you hopefully you can feel those homages to some of the the things that i'm nostalgic about but it's also new and that's what i want i want people to feel like we're making something collectively we're making something that is is greater than the sum of its parts great man but michael man thank you so much for this has been great man this has been a great conversation um and we haven't had you know we haven't really sat down over that coffee and and had a chance to talk, but you know, we did cross paths a couple of times. You came to us, a, a, a Brenda screening, you and your dad, which was amazing. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, just thank you so much for your support, man. And, and just, just, you're always supporting, you support the community of filmmakers here in Lansing. You're always reaching out. You're always posting people's things. You're always about, you know, um, pushing the filmmakers forward and film in Lansing forward. And so I appreciate you, man. I really appreciate you for that. Where can people find, um, you, where can they follow you? Where can they, where can they see your work? Well, they can go to rebelpictures.net. There's um, an online rental section. There's also a store section that if they want to order uh, DVDs or posters or CD soundtracks, I, I love, I like for my feature films, I still do CD soundtracks. Just like you were talking with Pulp Fiction, man, is when you see that movie that those songs start playing yeah. in your head, I want to be able to to have those available for people. So um, rebelpictures.net. Uh, but I also wanted to say too, man, is like, I think it's important. I'm only in control of me, but I think it's important as a community of artists to be supportive of each other. But I'll share a lot of people's stuff, but I don't go into great detail. If it's something that I just isn't my cup of tea, you know, if it's something that I'm like, hey, God bless they made that man. I'm not going to get into why it didn't fit for me. But like sincerely, Brenda, that was a movie that I wasn't just being supportive of because it was something going on in my community. It was something that I was like, that's good. So when it's something that I really believe in, I'll go that extra mile. Um, and mentioning it on a because I'm, you know, I have my own podcast too, uh, the Magic Hour with Michael McCallum. That's through my site as well. 
But now weekly, I'm doing um, a movie moment uh, with Michael McCallum on the Michigan's big show with Michael Patrick Shields. There's a lot of Michaels there. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, it was so cool to pick Sincerely Brenda as, you know, every week I'm, I'm highlighting a movie that I feel people stuck at home in the quarantine need to watch because we can't go the, to the theaters anymore. Right, right. But just because... You know, you as the creator of that and everybody, all the wonderful people involved with it, you kind of reach the point of like, it's had its life, you've moved on from it, especially the actors do, man. But to the viewer, it's brand new to them. So I was honored to be able to uh, highlight that film and your wonderful work in it and, um, and to hopefully get some people to just see it maybe again, but for the first time during this time. And, and hopefully, like at the best case scenario, be entertained, but also be affected personally by it through this, this crisis that we're all going through. No, I appreciate that, man. And, and that's, you know, another reason I want to have you on, man, because like there, how do I say there There are people, your support, I'll say it like this, your support doesn't come with strings. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I feel that, you know, I feel that I felt that from you. And, and there, there are people that sometimes they, they, and it's it, it, here, I'll say this, it's nothing wrong. Like, I guess it's nothing wrong with it. If you're, if you're doing something, but just be forthcoming with people, you know? Yeah. But I think I felt that like, you know, your, your support came, you know, it comes with no strings and not just with sincerely Brenda and me, it's just, just kind of watching you and observing you and how you move. It's like, you genuinely want, you know, um, to support people and to support the community. And so I appreciate that, man. I, you know, and so whatever you know, I can do. Without it ending, like, per, you know, a perfect end to the, the podcast is like, you know, there's been enough filmmakers out there, um, a few in particular that, man, over the years, I, I've, I've gone to the theaters, I paid the ticket price, I gave up an hour and a half, two hours of my life that I will never get back, that when I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to look in the reflection of the Reaper's scythe, and I'm going to go, I would give anything to have that 90 minutes back. And I go out and support because I think it's important. And I share mm -hmm. about it because I think it's important. Just because I didn't like it doesn't mean somebody else might not. Right. These are right. independent projects and or Michigan-made projects. But with that being said, I'm really sick and tired of some of those folks that have never come to anything I've ever done, have never shown an interest in anything I've ever done, even when I've reached out to them and invited them to things, and they live right here in mid-Michigan or Lansing. And those are people that I'm like, I do things without strings attached, but I'm going to be very vocal about like, I'm not supporting your shit anymore, man. Like one, it's garbage. Two, like we're not in a big kumbaya thing. So it's like, if I don't like it, I've been cool and I've tried to promote and help and get people out. But when that doesn't get returned at all over many, many years, go, you got to go do your thing, bro. You got to go do your thing. Cause, cause I can't be a part of that anymore. You know? Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's, I think, I think it was Paul Thomas Anderson that says something. This is like a while, maybe last year or two years ago. It's he said something to John Krasinski. Like I, I think it's when when um 
John Krasinski's movie came out, um, Quiet Place. And he said something, I can't remember who he said it about. He said something about a director and Paul Thomas Anderson checked him and said, dude, you can't say that about indie film. Like you can't talk about, because it's difficult enough to make a film. And if you start bashing it like that, then, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like, if you don't like it, cool. Like, yep. but respect the, the respect yep. it, man. And that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from, like where I come from. I'm like, I don't have to like everything. The same, like you said, I don't have to like everything, man. But it's, I give mad props and respect to filmmakers that finish a film, whether it's a short film or a feature film, and they get it out there in front of people because it's hard. It's hard to make it um, and put it together. And so I may not like it, but I my hat's off. Well, <laughs> my hat's off and to then, you. And then I don't have to be overly vocal about, oh, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. It's like, no, right. it comes down to the people, man. And it's like, if, if your people aren't going to support other people, and it's not just me. I mean, the, the few filmmakers that I'm thinking of and that I'm referring to, they don't go see anybody's stuff. So I'm yeah. like, you know, I'm not going to see your stuff anymore. It's not like I'm missing anything either. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. for you, you're, you're one of those folks that you're, you're genuine, you're putting your heart and soul into projects, and you're also making really good work too. That helps for me to go, you gotta see this. Because um, I love what you're doing, man, and and I hope our paths uh, are able to cross down the road, even if we're having to dress up in hazmat suits, you know. <laughs> right, but, right, right. Yeah, man. Because the, so, the worst part of that is we could be sitting having coffee for two hours, and then you take the helmet off, and it's not even you. I was sitting with somebody else. Right. <laughs> man, I can't wait to this. It, it, it is. It's stifling, but. I think it's been cool to see people creating um, despite it and, you know, finding ways to create. And that's, I mean, this is one of the big reasons why I'm doing this podcast. It's like, well, I can't make, I can't make a film right now, but I can talk film still and I can get to know people still and we can put content out for other filmmakers and people that just love film and just want to hear stories about the filmmaker to enjoy it, man. And so I think, you know, this is one of the reasons behind this podcast as well. So, but man, no, I, I, thank you, man. Thank you again. Um, I appreciate you taking time out. And everyone listening to this podcast, definitely go follow Michael McCallum um, on Facebook. His work is on Prime Video. And you can go to also you can go to his uh, website. It's a ton of work on his website that he has on um, rebelpictures.net. Uh, definitely support, support, support. Uh, thank you, brother. Uh, appreciate you. Thank you all for listening. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. Also rate and review the podcast on Apple. And uh, appreciate you all listening. I'll see you next week.